Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to get you ready for week six in college football. We've got some fun matchups here this weekend and on this slate and Saturday, a lot to cover, and we're going to do it with three guests once again. First up, we've got Mr. Relevant, where Nate Tice is going to drop by does great work over at The Athletic. He does some outstanding analysis, not just of the NFL, but also for college football and the NFL draft. And Nate is going to talk, be talking about a position that is near and dear to his heart. That's quarterback. It's a position he played uh, in, in college. And we're going to talk through it. Who are the top quarterbacks in this class? Who are some guys that he has studied? Who are some sleepers to be aware of? Not just a quarterback, but across the rest of the offense as well. We'll get to that right at the top of the show. After that, in Saturday scouting, Ben Fennell and I are going to talk through some of the top matchups we are most excited to see this weekend in college football. We've got another mock draft to hit on from PFF. Mike Renner uh, has a great mock draft. We, ben and I are going to break down at the end of that segment. And then we wrap things up with pick six. Ross Tucker and I continue our head-to-head battle. I went into last week with a very sizable lead. We'll see if Ross was able to gain some ground there uh, as we make our weekly picks in college football on a weekly basis. As always, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got a question, leave it. We'll answer it here in an upcoming episode. Maybe it's a mock draft you want us to break down. If you have ranking questions, whatever it is, you go leave that there in the comment box. We will answer it on an upcoming show. That said, it's time to uh, talk some QBs. Let's welcome in Nate Tice from Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited this week here for Mr. Relevant to welcome in a guy who's been on this show multiple times. That's Nate Tice from The Athletic. You can follow his work on Twitter at Nate underscore Tice. Obviously a big part of The Athletic football show. Uh, Nate, you, Robert Mays, do an outstanding job covering the NFL on a weekly basis, multiple episodes a week. Really appreciate appreciate you taking a few minutes here to, uh, to join us here on the Journey of the Draft. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is one of those times where I get reminded. I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta start doing the draft prep, <laughs> and it's it's October. October starts, and it's like, oh wow, I'm, I'm starting to get in the rhythm. Three weeks, four weeks into the NFL, and then it's like, sure, oh yeah, there there goes the rest of my free time because now I'm going to be watching college prospects <laughs> for the next six months as well. Well, I know you've done some work uh, on these quarterbacks, and mm-hmm. I, I do want to focus our attention here in this conversation on that position. It's one that you know well, uh, having played it at the college level. Uh, I, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on this group because it's it's so highly regarded at this point, especially compared to what we saw in last year's class. So I want to ask you this. Yeah, obviously, we there's Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, people buzzing about Anthony Richardson. And you go right down the list. There's a bunch of other guys uh, as well. But of this group, who's your favorite? Who's the guy that you're like, yeah, like this is a guy I feel best about at this point in the process? I'm I'm flirting with a couple other guys. You mentioned one Richardson a little bit, flirting with him a little bit, but my main squeeze is CJ Stroud. Mm. And I, I really like Stroud. Uh watching him, the Ohio State offense, I'm a little bit sucker for because it's it's beautifully simple. <laughs> and when and in that offense, you know, with the receiver read routes and also how vertical it is, it is fun because you can translate some of the throws uh to the NFL level. And I think Stroud has really taken uh, even more the second half of last year, it was cool. Cause the first time I watched Stroud was against Oregon last year. And I was like, Ooh, this guy needs some time. Yep. And then by the end of the year, I was, I was watching him and I'm watching the last couple of games. I'm like, man, I, even outside the Rose bowl game, just watching him. Just, man, this guy's really putting it together. Like, I think he's understanding what true timing is understanding how you have to lead guys, throw guys open. And I haven't seen anything different for the first month. He is 
he, he just plays very polished and poised and calm. Um, the easy comparison, and I'm not going to say because the this guy was a much better runner than Stroud is. Uh, Stroud's a good athlete, but he doesn't want to run, like which I appreciate. But sometimes I want him to be a little more aggressive. But he processes like Dak, and he throws like Dak Prescott. That's that's like my easy comparison, where he has more of a that above average good arm as opposed to overwhelming arm strength. But he's accurate, and he understands how when to push the ball with selective selective aggressiveness. And I'm kind of a sucker for that. He processes very well. Um, but I, I really think of all these guys, other guys have a little bit more blemishes at this point in time. And I think just he is a nice, solid package. He does have a lot of things well, even if some of the things aren't overwhelmingly great. To me, like what you said at the beginning in terms of seeing him early versus Oregon and then just watching it progress over the course of the season, uh, that was one thing that stood out to me studying over the summer was just as the season went on, you saw, saw a guy that was just so much more comfortable, so much more in command of what he was being asked to do in that scheme. And, and as that command grew in the offense, like his comfort level, you could tell things kind of slowed down for him. Uh, he was navigating the pocket at a higher rate, yes. uh, wasn't forcing the football, didn't take a lot of bad sacks. Like uh, the decision making was there. Uh, the accuracy and ball placement, that, that certainly stands out, but uh, the way he plays the position is certainly admirable. I'm glad you brought up the pocket movement because especially as I watched him uh, just totally take Wisconsin to the cleaners, I, I, I'm watching <laughs> watching that game, and I'm a Badger. Yeah, for anyone doesn't know, so uh, it was a rough one. But I'm watching him, and that navigation in the pocket was so cool because it's not like he's locking in on number one as he's moving. He's doing the real stuff, which is he's moving in the pocket, but also his eyes are moving. It's And it sounds like, oh, no kidding, you want to get to two and three, but he's doing it together. It's not like he's going through a checklist in his head. It it's, it's all seems very natural and fluid. So I'm glad you mentioned that he has it's more command. It's more calm. Everything's calm with him. Everything, nothing feels forced. Nothing feels like, Oh, why'd you do that? Everything he's done, even a mistake throws. I'm like, okay, I get why you did that. Okay. I understand your process there, which is something I kind of appreciate. And we forget because these guys come out so young, he is so young and <laughs> he's a young player. And it's cool to see a guy with this many starts already seeing these leaps and bounds and this progression as a player uh, that probably only get better with even more starts. Real quickly, last thing on CJ Stroud, we'll take a walk down Narrative Street because you know the, like the one big thing that's going to come up with him is coming from that Ohio State offense. Yes. And all these Buckeye quarterbacks haven't had success in the NFL. Uh, what do you make of that conversation? Like, what's your response to to fans? Because that's well, that's where the majority of this is going to come from is from fans and certainly from um, some members of the media as well. Is oh, the Ohio State quarterbacks never pan out. This guy should not be the number one quarterback off the board. Right. It's even with him and Fields and Justin Fields, watching these two, these two are different than the previous Ohio State guys. Those guys were just winging it back there. They were just hanging out, waiting in the pocket, waiting for something to pop open. What I love Fields because he was such an outstanding athlete, but wanted to be a quarterback. And of course, we that's a story for another time yeah. to talk about what he looks like with the Bears. But Stroud as well is that he is, I, it's the processing. It's different. It's the same offense. I mean, there's not much different than maybe five, six years ago, but it's, it, it's how he operates in it. So that's why I'm not as worried, even though they play on easy mode sometimes. Like they just run a couple concepts, but they're really simple, but they're tried and true concepts. He's getting to the the B and C answer when the A answer isn't there. And that's why I'm like, I'm like, I think he gets what he's trying to do. So that's you never know until you talk to these guys, you sit on the board with them. Of course, that's why quarterbacks are such a crapshoot. But it's one of those where it's like, okay, if they are asking you only to do seven things, you could do it all very well. And you you're polished already. So maybe we could throw more onto your plate. So that's why I'm more optimistic of how he can grow. 
All right, well, let's take a look at the other quarterback that I think is kind of being compared most often to Stroud, and that's quarterback Bryce Young. And, you know, Stroud at, at 6'3", under 220 pounds, no one's going to mistake him for, uh, you know, big, strong, powerful quarterback like the oversized guy. Bryce Young, I mean, but he is so much bigger than Bryce Young is <laughs> right. at six foot, uh, under 200 pounds. And, and again, those are generous measurements, I think, when you're talking about Bryce Young. Um, it should kind of get your thoughts uh, on the, uh, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner from Alabama. When I reviewed his games from last year and I was putting together an article, kind of like a preview article for this draft class, I he is more of a quarterback than I gave him credit for. Sure. He is an outstanding creator, and, and that's, of course, his calling card. But it is – he processes quicker. He he is getting one to two. That offensive line last year was so disappointing for Alabama, and he's having to bail over and over. At first, when I watch it on TV, I'm like – man, this guy bails from clean pockets. And then when you watch it on all 22 and you're like, oh, it's because the pocket wasn't clean. <laughs> That's why he's bailing. And and I, I he gets it. It was He's more of a gamer than I really was expecting to watch. It's just the size thing is going to be so tough with him. That is what's – and I, it's going to get tiresome by the time we hit January and February. But it is, it, it's 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 he's an outlier. Um, there's only been one sub-200-pound quarterback to draft in the first round in the last – 40 years, I believe it is. And that was Jim McMahon. Uh, that was the last sub 200 pound quarterback to go in the first round, Jim McMahon. Um, the last, uh, the last, uh, sub 200 pound quarterback to go in the first three rounds was Pat white, who was tabbed as like a wildcat quarterback. And that was what I think, what was that? 2009. Um, so it's, he's an outlier and yes, everyone wants to compare him to Kyler and him and Kyler do have a lot of similarities in their game, but Kyler's build is just different. Coward just has that thicker build, even if he's probably an inch shorter than Bryce Young. Um, same with Russ. Russ is built like a tank, even though he's shorter. Uh, but I, I, Russell Wilson, I'm sorry for shorthand there. But uh, but I do think Bryce Young is, he is more of a quarterback than I think he'll ever get credit for as far as the processes are working from the pocket. It's just that that size thing is always going to come back and, and be a, a, a blemish on him. And that's the thing is like, we just had this conversation about an Alabama prospect two, two years ago, two drafts ago. He just happened to play another position and that's Devontae Smith. Smith. <laughs> yes. uh, literally my nickname for Smith is the outlier because <laughs> I it was the opposite of the type of receiver I liked and I loved Devontae Smith I still love him I he's one of my favorite players in the league because he's so tough he's like a he doesn't know he's 170 pounds like he's like he blocks his butt off and that's Bryce Young is tough too and no so question. it's kind of funny they're that that's that, that's a great comparison though they're the two outliers but they're more complete players that I think they get credit for. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like To your point, like Bryce Young, there were so many clips last year where, yeah, like he had to run away from pressure, but he'll make these throws with defenders bearing down uh, and yeah. you know, knowing he's going to take a shot and then putting a like pin, pin, picture-perfect throw uh, in the red zone in a tight window, like throwing it into a mailbox and uh, still finding a way uh, to make that throw under duress. It, he, it's just so fun to be able to watch. That said... We're coming a week off a week where he gets banged up. And it was a shoulder injury yes. uh, this past week in Arkansas. Hopefully uh, nothing too long-term there with yeah. Bryce Young. But uh, certainly a guy that we're going to be talking about here in the months to come. Uh, another guy in the SEC, this guy from the senior class, built a little bit differently, uh, certainly, than Bryce Young. Yes. Will Will Levis uh, from Kentucky, 6'4", 230 pounds, much more of the traditional uh, you know, pocket passer build in terms of uh, what we see from a traditional sense. What are your thoughts on Will Levis from Kentucky? He was, it was, I was watching Wendell Robinson who got drafted by the Giants. And, and when I was watching him, I was like, who the, who's this quarterback whipping these rockets in there? Like, and he's extremely fast mechanics, but they're very sound mechanics, which is really fun to watch. And I could see why, even though Stafford, there's been comparisons with Levis and Stafford, and I get it because just the arm talent. Stafford's a little more creative of a thrower. 
I think Levis can be almost mechanical, too mechanical and too robotic at times, but he's a good athlete. He's super tough. He's big, like you mentioned, or just a thick build. He's not a great runner. Like he's a good athlete. He's terrible vision, which I, I it's really funny to me. He's like a magnet for contact. Right. Like he, he, he run the darkness. Like he, he just runs right at defenders, which I think is hilarious. Um, he's also a bit older. He plays in a real offense though. So it's a lot more translatable when you watch it. Like you're like, Oh, I know this under center play action. Okay, here we go. There's the over, there's the post he's hitting those. And I think he does try to do the right thing. I think sometimes he could be a little too bit of a, too bit of a, much of a gambler. He's got a really, and that's, what's kind of the worrisome is that he's a little bit older, doesn't have a ton of starts, but he's kind of doing some more amateur things as far as like, Oh, I'm going to force that ball in there. He's a gunslinger. Um, I think he's trying to hone that out of him, but he is, he's a guy, someone's going to take a chance on him because it's, I mean, obviously that's why he's getting hyped up so much is because not a lot of guys throw like that. He has such quick throwing, like throwing motion and the ball just zips out of his hand and he can get hot. He can get, he's a streaky passer, but he'll hit three, four throws that a lot of guys can't make. So that's what you're grading to. You're grading to his flashes and hoping that just with more starts and more bullets flying around him, he becomes more consistent. It's just the counter argument is that he is older. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's the give and take with him. I know it's it's a like you said at the beginning of the show, it's a really fun class. Like all these guys are really fun. It's just that what do you like? What flavor do you like with these guys? Yeah, I, that's the thing. I mean, you you made a great point about the age with uh, Will Levis. Is, since he's a little bit older but not super experienced, you're still seeing yeah. things like bailing from clean pockets a little bit earlier yeah. than you'd like. Some of the pre-snap stuff just not there because he doesn't have that that experience in that offense. He's in his second year as a starter. It's a new offensive coordinator there in Rich Scangarello. But uh, to your point, it's two NFL-ish schemes with Scangarello yeah. this year, Liam Cohen, who's now with the Rams um, from a year ago. And so uh, there might be a little bit of an easier transition for him but uh to me like the big thing like just up and down ball placement and then uh the decision making not always exactly what you would like as well you put the ball in harm's way a little bit more than you'd like and that that's something that showed up this past week against Ole Miss and so I think I feel like that's going to be one of the bugaboos he'll have to shake as well right it's one of those where I, I wish I could see him and almost say more uh, basic offense. So I could just see him kind of whipping it around a little bit more. Cause I could tell he's trying to do the right thing, but sometimes it's that clock's got speed up. It's just, he just has to. And again, you get, that's just a natural thing. We already talked about with one guy with Stroud, yeah. his clock speeding up, but that's, you know, Stroud's three years younger. Yep. <laughs> so it's, it's, that's okay. That's the trade-off. And again, once they have their NFL, that age stuff becomes a little bit, you know, less of a thing, but still it's, it's notable. Uh, but no, what, you said he puts the ball in harm's way. He had a couple strip sacks last week where it's that's worrisome because he's hunting. He he wants to he wants to make the big throw on stuff, but it's like, eh, can you not? Can you just check it down? <laughs> so we'll see if like that again, if that's a chicken or the egg kind of thing with the offense, or if it's just he just again another guy that needs bullets to be flying around him so he can speed it up. All right, so you mentioned in the beginning you were you were flirting with some of these other guys. So outside yes. of CJ Stroud, uh Bryce Young, Will Levis. Who's the guy we were like, man? This guy just gives me the most juice at the quarterback position. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna. I think Anthony Richardson. I'm gonna get suckered into him because not <laughs> only is he an incredible athlete and big and everything, he's trying to do the right thing. And that offense at times is nice where it keeps it simple, but he's trying to pro- he's trying to progress and do the right thing. But they'll have two guys running into the same spot, and that happens more often than I thought it would with this the, with this offensive staff. Uh, but he, it's one of those where it's, it might not be this year for him. He might need another year to start, but 
man, his his upside is like 1% upside. Like there's not a lot of guys that can throw like that or build like that, can run like that. And I do think he is a decent quarterback, like doing the actual right things as far as where he's trying to progress from the pocket. I just think he's just another guy that just needs reps. I, I, I want to keep tabs on him more than anyone because – it's one of those where I want to watch him in November and be like, okay, is it is it clicking for you a little bit quicker? Is the offense cleaned up and helps you out? And then I got a couple other guys up, like Tanner McKee from Stanford. Yeah. I'm I've become a sucker for him too. Um, big armed guy, big, big athlete, a little more accurate than I thought he would be. That offense is a little I, I hate it. Uh, because they're doing the <laughs> they're doing the Wake Forest long read thing. And it's just like, oh, and I hate it. And I just want to see this guy drop back and throw it because when he does get to do that, it's really nice. He's willing to push the ball in the seams. He makes the hard throws. So not a great Stanford team, but that's a guy I, I, I'm i like, the more I watch him, the more I appreciate him. So that's another guy. And then this is more of a fun guy, and that's Jalen Daniels from Kansas, uh, who is who is more – he is fun. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned McKee, too, because he kind of reminds me of a guy I know you're familiar with in, uh, in Matt Ryan. And in, 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 you don't want to make yeah. comparisons to these guys in terms of, like, guys who are decade-long starters and former MVPs. Right. But the the way that he's built, the way he, like, throws the football, I think, like, the mechanically is just very, very similar uh, to Matt Ryan. But and, um, and he makes the same – he loves to make the same throws Matt did. He loves the seam throws. He likes the – he likes to – he and I've compared Matt Ryan to Chris Paul. Yep. Like, he loves the long twos. Like, he loves the hard <laughs> shots. And I – uh, no, I totally get that. I, I really do. And he's a better athlete than just like Matt was, than I think he gets credit for. Like, and yeah, no, that's a, I like that comparison a lot. All right, so any listener to the Athletic Football Show will know that you've got you've got your types. Uh, you've got your, and you, you struggle <laughs> to quit them. Uh, you know, whether it's a receivers, the ball winners on the outside, your tough blocking receivers, uh, you can go down the list at, at different positions. But uh, looking at offensive skill talent in this class. Is there a guy that you're like, yeah, I don't know if this guy's a top 20 pick or a first-round pick, but I just love him. He's a, he's definitely my type. Is there a guy that stands out in that realm? Right now, uh, this receiver class is kind of like a little iffy, yeah. like more than I thought it would be. Uh, but A.T. Perry from Wake Forest. And as anyone knows, I love my ball winners. Yep. Um, I, I Again, with, like with all big jumbo-sized receivers, how is he going to test? But I think this guy... I like him as like a day two type talent. Uh, there's something he has good ball skills. He is a little bit twitchier than I maybe gave him credit for when I first watched him. So I, that's a guy I'm keeping my eye on as an AT Perry from Wake Forest. Also like Josh Downs a little bit. It reminds me of from North Carolina. It reminds me of Christian Kirk. Like that's, yep. that's kind oh, of, I can see that. Yeah. That's kind of more of a crafty, smooth slot player than maybe overly twitchy or explosive, but I like him. It's again, another day two type of guy. And um, I also have a couple other skill guys I like. I like Sam Laporta from tight, the tight end from Iowa um, and Luke Musgrave from Oregon state. Those are also day two type tight ends. I, I, I like, I like Laporta. I think he'd be a nice F tight end, uh, but a willing blocker. Like he actually does. Like, of course you have to be at Iowa. But he can do that type of stuff. And that running back, I like Zach Charbonnet from UCLA. Mm. Um, had a third round grade on him last year. I thought he would declare, and he came back to UCLA. And there's not nothing I've seen so far that's dissuaded me from my grade. I, I think he's a. I think he has a potential to be a true three down back in the league, which which is always valuable. It's October fifth, so Robert is no way nowhere close to watching uh, college prospects no. now. But when he sees At Perry and hears you, oh yeah, I like At Perry. He will say, oh, of course you do. Uh, exactly. Because that, that is that is your prototype <laughs> for sure. Well, Nate, uh, thanks so much for joining us here once again on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We'll be listening to you on the Athletic Football Show. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. It's time for Saturday Scouting. 
All right, time to now keep the conversation rolling with Saturday Scouting as I welcome in Ben Fennell to talk through some of the matchups we're excited to see here this weekend in college football. Ben, I will let you uh, do the honors of kicking us off. Matchup to watch, one one-on-one battle you're most excited to see this weekend. Uh, kind of an interesting battle uh, actually lined up for the middle of the day on Saturday. How about BYU-Notre Dame? Yeah. Independent powerhouses facing off. We'll see how long these two programs stay independent. But I'm looking at left tackle Blake Freeland of BYU. Big, tall, long glass of water out there holding down the left tackle spot. Zero sacks allowed in 2022 thus far. I think only one last year, and it was kind of questionable. Going to face Isaiah Foskey this weekend. So I think this is a tape a lot of the scouts are going to go right to. Nice to see a lot of those BYU disciples having success early in the NFL already. Tyler Algier, uh, Brady Christensen, some guys like that that now uh, with their NFL teams, but Blake Freeland looks like he fits that similar mold that um, uh, Brady Christensen was, tall, long, yep. right around 300 pounds, not a mauler, not a people mover, but excellent in the zone game, really good pass pro, good passing off twists, keeping his eyes up. Foskey is a guy that we've seen in a lot of mock drafts. When you look at Freeland, do you feel like he's like day two or more like day three mold? He's probably like an early day three guy that's going to come in and really surprise somebody and compete. Maybe if somebody likes his profile, um, maybe intrigues them into an early day two and based on a need. And I was actually starting to go around the NFL last night uh, trying to check some boxes on teams that I feel like can use franchise left tackles. Mm easily five, six teams and maybe a couple teams looking to the future, a couple teams of question marks just uh, based on their existing uh, tackle capital. So I think uh, tackles are like always. And as we seem to repeat every class, they're going to be in demand. Yep. So Blake Freeland's flirting right around, I think OT 10 or 12 right now. So this is going to be a big game for him. So I'm going to go to the Midwest and go big 10, big one here, Illinois, Iowa, and this is like, you know, uh, what's the saying? The scouter's delight, right? Where you have two big seniors going kind of head-to-head here. When you have Illini running back, Chase Brown, one of the more productive running backs in the country, uh, he's vying for some Heisman contention with the way that he's playing so far, going up against one of the best defensive players in the conference, an Iowa linebacker, Jack Campbell. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this game in the next segment with Ross, but uh, I think when you p- kind of put these two guys together, uh, this is a- an interesting matchup on both sides. Brown is a guy that uh, certainly has some athletic tools. I love his explosiveness and his power uh and Campbell we've talked about him Ben he's a guy that outside of this like the straight 40 time he just checks so many other boxes at playing at the linebacker position I could see him being a longtime contributor in the NFL as a, as a starter so I think when you look at these two guys going head to head this will be a good battle in Iowa collectively very stout defense this year actually the fewest 10 yard runs allowed in college football very stout against the run only two rushing touchdowns mm-hmm. which is second in college football only behind Georgia and Illinois. Also a very strong run defense this season. They are dominating on the defensive side of the ball. But let's give some love to Chase Brown and that offensive rushing attack. We'll have their hands full this weekend. No question. All right, well, let's get to our next category here. Most to gain. One player who could really benefit from a strong performance this week. And I'll lead us off here with this one because uh, college game day for the first time. Headed to Kansas. You got the Jayhawks. Uh, They take on TCU noon. FS1. It's not like a highlight matchup, but obviously a good opportunity for the undefeated Jayhawks uh, to keep things rolling against a, uh, a hot TCU team. Dude, Jalen Daniels, like you, you've got the huge spotlight. He's already generated a ton of buzz the way he's played. You get college game day in town. You're taking on a ranked, a top 20 team in, in TCU, which is always known to play good defense. If Daniels can put up a huge game uh, on this stage, having the attention that they've got on them, I think that's a huge boost to his national profile. Have they announced the guest picker yet? 
Because finger, no. fingers crossed we get a Joel Embiid, a little Philly connection oh, out man, there in Jayhawk land. Saw him out on the court last night, sitting courtside preseason yeah, game, uh, which was a lot of fun. I know some rumors on who it could be. Joel Embiid would be a lot of fun. Oh, and God, I think uh, so a little great. juice to the Philly market here. But I'm going to go over to the ACC. We got Boston College Clemson, which has seemingly been an entertaining game for a variety of, variety of reasons the past three to four years. But my eyes are on Zay Flowers. Huge season after kind of a down year last year, in my opinion. Some drops bit him. Injuries. Uh, he yep. ended up being the guy as well, so he was definitely focused in game plan. But his career against Clemson, his previous three games, just 46 yards a game. Mm. Uh, some pretty quiet games, never surpassed, I think, 60 or 70 yards. So I want to see him put up a big game and against some NFL caliber, speedy defensive backs and just get a lot of eyeballs. I think this is going to be a popular game to watch on Saturday, so I want to see him show out arguably against the best defensive competition he'll see. All right, well, let's go to uh, the next category here. You did break down Zay Flowers as well earlier this week, so if you want a more uh, in-depth film breakdown, uh, go check the episode that dropped earlier this week here on the feed. Uh, let's go to our prospects after dark. Who's playing in a game, 8 o'clock start time or later, that you want to profile? Uh, ben, for the first time in like three weeks, I've got like my Saturday afternoon wide open, so I don't <laughs> need to get my fix with the night games here uh, this week, but uh, you, can, you can kick off this category. Who's the guy you're watching uh, late night on Saturday? Well, let's just kind of call it what it is. I think a lot of folks Focus is going to be on this CBS 8 o'clock prime time Texas A&M against Alabama game. And there's prospects and battles and things at stake on both sides of the ball and all over the place. So I'll go with the Texas A&M offense. Really excited to see, you know, uh, Devin and Shane. Yeah. Is that you say his last name, a Shane? Uh, I actually have it written down here, and I'm pretty sure it is a Shane. Give me one second. All right, well, while you're digging uh, while that, I'm up, doing that no other running back on yep. the Texas A&M team has more than 39 yards rushing. He has nearly 500. He has been the go-to guy, the offense, at 5'9", 190 pounds, track-style background. But last year against Alabama, 7 for 34 yards. A couple of nice catches, but big win for Texas A&M, knocking off Alabama. That was the Jimbo signature win, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He was kind of quiet. Mm. So I think this is going to be a big game for his draft stock, not to mention the other side. Those DBs, the safeties, linebackers, having to wrangle him in the open field, maybe have to guard him coming out of the backfield, running some routes. He's got true track speed out there. So he's a very interesting electric prospect, not a true traditional NFL running back, but more of a, I think a mismatch type. So I want to see how, how they feature him and if he can make a couple big splash plays under the lights against Alabama. Gatorade track and field athlete of the year coming out of high school in the state of Texas or legit speed. Uh, Devon. A chain. A chain, yes. A chain. So okay. it's a hard ah uh, in the beginning of a chain and then also uh, a hard on uh, at the end. So not Devin, uh, Devon. Uh, I always go to the pronunciation because even like the broad people will go off the broadcast. You can't always go off the broadcast because not all broadcasters are uh, created equal from the pronunciation standpoint. Um, but yeah, A chain is one of the the uh, linchpins of that offense, especially Noah Nia Smith uh, after the injury uh, to him last week. So uh, that is certainly one to watch. It's just crazy they don't have like, Nia Smith is also like a gadgety kind of yeah. hybrid player. Yep. Go get yourselves a 225-pound back out there in Texas to, you know, beat up some defenses with. I, I love the track stars and the, the speed and, the you know, the perimeter ability. Can we beat somebody up between the tackles, too, and maybe save these guys just a little bit? Yeah, no, uh, no C.J. Spiller, or uh, Isaiah Spiller, rather, right, exactly. uh, at this point. So you're, you're missing that presence in that backfield. Uh, I will go to the defensive backfield for the, for the Aggies in this game. 
Antonio Johnson's a guy that we've talked about, but again, for listeners that maybe are just picking up uh, and kind of catching up on who are the top prospects in the country, Antonio Johnson, the safety from Texas A&M, is a player you need to know for uh, whether it's this coming draft or if he stays for his senior year and comes back for the 2024 campaign. I think when you look at Johnson, 6'3", 195 pounds, so legitimate size. He's been used primarily as a slot player, and he has got outstanding athleticism. So a lot of the things that we said last spring about Daxton Hill, he ended up sneaking into the back end of round one. I think you could say the same thing about Johnson, but I think in more of a safety kind of skill set. He brings a little bit more of a physical edge to the position, I think, than Daxton Hill did. I think he's got a little bit more versatility from a uh, run game standpoint. If you th- I don't know if you think that's fair, like just being able to play up closer to the line of scrimmage in the box. I think that you get a little bit more of that from Antonio Johnson. I just think that he is like – the prototypical strong safety in today's NFL, like exactly what you need to play that position in the league where he's got the ability to line up all over the place. He can match up against tight ends and also play down close to the line uh, in the run game. I think with, with Hill, you knew like coverage aspect, he was good. I didn't. I think he was a certain kind of run defender. I think he had, he had to be more of like a top down presence. I think Johnson, you can you can mix it up with him and place place him a little bit closer. Uh, I think he's got a little bit more versatility. I just had so much fun watching this guy play. So uh, for me, Antonio Johnson, uh, safety from A and M, he's a guy to watch. That's a great pick. Currently the team's leading tackler, and I know some listeners may be saying, "Give it a rest." A and M is three and two. Obviously, they're not that contending team we maybe had hopes for in twenty twenty two. Well, NFL scouts aren't looking at the win total. No. They're looking at some high-level prospects that can play on Sundays. So I think back to those Charlie Strong kind of Texas teams that were middling seven and five teams and just pumping players in the NFL year after year after year despite not being competitive or in the playoff or even high-profile bowl games. NFL scouts are looking at these players in vacuums, and A&M is loaded. Why have they been losing games? A variety of reasons. Yep. But look at all these individual prospects for what they are individually and then kind of, you know, expand up upon that. So I know they're three and two, their season hasn't gone great, and there's been some dysfunction, some disappointment, but it doesn't mean there aren't high level prospects. Yeah, uh, it's a really good point. I think the same applies to like when you're looking at lower levels of competition. Like if you can play the NFL is going to find you. So even if your team is not doing well, uh, you know you still have a ton to play for, obviously, from that standpoint. Let's go to the next category here. We're going to call our shot. Predict a big game from a prospect. You made you brought up the point a couple weeks ago that we should be like, you know, readdressing the guys we, we talked about the previous week. Last week, you talked about Jalen Duncan, the tackle from Maryland, going up against Michigan State and Jacoby Winman. Well, Ben, you nailed that one. Jacoby Winman had his lowest defensive grade, according to PFF, his lowest pass rush grade of the season going up against the senior tackle from the Terps. Uh, Jalen Duncan, we're seeing him in mock drafts. We're seeing him in the top 15 of some mock drafts. That might be a little bit rich, but at the end of the day, it's like you said earlier with Freeland, tackle tackle play is at a premium. So if you can get a solid starter, uh, those guys tend to go off the board a little bit earlier than you would think. That said, who's your call your shot player this week? You know, there's a lot to choose from. Uh, I'm actually going to go with Michigan running back Blake Corum. Nice. Okay. Uh, facing Indiana in Nebraska. Ran 51 times on Indiana last week. Wasn't all explosive in a 300-yard performance, but just committed to it and just beat them up and wore them down. So I think Indiana is going to be a little bit kind of banged up. I think Corum looks really fresh. He looks juiced up this year. He is running really light, very explosive. And last year... 
just three snaps against Indiana, one rush, and he got banged up early um, and let uh, Hassan Haskins kind of carry the show, if I remember correctly. Yep. But either way, Blake Corum, he looks fresh out there. Kind of an interesting body type, you know, 5'9", maybe 205, pushing 210 at this point with kind of breakaway speed and good size to kind of take some battering between the tackles. Really interesting player. Yeah, no question. Uh, he's a guy that um, we, we've talked about a couple times here on the podcast. and He's one of the more productive backs in the country. Uh, for me, last week I talked about Ohio State going up against Rutgers. Uh, Zach Harrison was the player I profiled. He actually had a season-high three hurries on just six pass rush snaps uh, last week against Rutgers. So, um, And Harrison actually talked this week, Ben. Uh, he's really liking the position versatility that they're allowing him to play with this season. They're lining him up more on the inside. I think that's actually a really big benefit for him because uh, I think the way I've looked at him in the past is more of like a heavy base end. But if you could say, okay, uh, we're going to line you up inside and you can give us some real juice from the interior, I think that kind of boosts his profile a little bit. Well, I'm interested to go back and watch more of those snaps with him on the inside. Uh, that said, I'm going to go out west, and I'm going to take a little bit of a stab in the dark here. Arizona State, they've got a senior quarterback transfer in Emory Jones who came over from Florida. He started ahead of Anthony Richardson last year. Uh, obviously, they, they gave the job to Richardson, so Jones transfers out. He's going up against Washington, and now Arizona State, they're a couple, a couple weeks now removed from a coaching change. Washington's defense, not what we've expected from them over the course of the last few years. Obviously, they're going uh, undergoing a coaching change as well. Let's go Emory Jones having a nice day here against the Washington Huskies. They've really they've struggled in certain areas, especially on third down. I'm going to say Emory Jones uh, finds a way to put it, put together a nice game. Um, he's done some nice things. I think when you look at him from an analytical standpoint, uh, clearly the turnovers have to get a little bit better. Um, but this is a guy that can beat you with his arm and with his legs. Uh, I've liked Emory Jones, uh, even though you uh, obviously a developmental player. Yeah, and he's had a kind of a turbulent college career. I think he was a hot prospect coming out of high school. Was expected to get the keys to the you know the car at. Florida. Florida, Kyle yep. Trask kind of, uh, you know, surprised some people and ended up being that leader, uh, you know, down the stretch of his career. And then you had the young kid, Anthony Richardson, came right on the scene. And Emery was kind of caught in no man's land, never really lived up to the hype. I had heard in the transfer portal, a lot of programs wanted him to sniff around at receiver, mm. do almost a Braxton Jones type of, uh, or excuse me, Braxton, Braxton Miller, Miller yeah. from Ohio State, who was a quarterback, switched to receiver, and was able to give NFL teams kind of an early peek just at what else I can do for you. So Emory committed to playing quarterback, went to Arizona State. We'll see if maybe the NFL is interested in keeping him at that position or maybe contribute elsewhere. You know, we've seen that all over the place. Josh Cribbs, Brad Smith, Braxton Miller, the guys that, you know, played in the NFL and contributed despite maybe uh, being a quarterback pedigree, you know, on Saturdays. Yeah, I, th I think that he's got a little something to offer there. I mean, I'm, I'd let him play that out a little bit longer. Um, just but, to you see. know, K.J. Yeah. Jefferson, Arkansas, yeah. same conversation right. going on. Malik Cunningham at Louisville. Same conversation yep. going on. Um, I think Hendon Hooker has kind of proved, you know, maybe he has a little bit more passing upside, um, but another exciting athlete that, you know, people are just wondering what else can you do out there. All right, let's get to our, our next category here, our comparison chat. Using an NFL comp to profile a prospect that is taking the field uh, this weekend. I am going to go to, uh, you talked about the senior tackle from the Maryland Terps. Uh, we talked about him a little bit earlier. Uh, I will go to senior wide receiver Dante Demas. Uh, and he was a guy that, you know, we've talked numerous times here over the course of the fall and the summer about this receiver class and how, you know, maybe it's a, a little bit lacking in terms of the true star power, but a lot of really intriguing height, weight, speed athletes at the position this year. And Demas, I think, is one of those guys. He was leading the Big Ten and receiving a year ago before an injury. Uh, he broke his leg and missed the entirety of that season uh, after the first four games. Um, so he's able to go back for that extra year. 
He reminded me when I studied him as a junior uh, of Michael Pittman uh, coming out of USC. And I think he's got a very similar play profile. Uh, I think when you look at his height, weight, speed, you look at the route tree, you look at the ways that he wins. Uh, I look at Dante Demas as a guy um, that, that can have that similar kind of impact. P- Pittman went middle to late second round. I think Demas is probably right in that area. Uh, and he's a guy uh, that I'm excited about moving forward into the NFL. Yeah, it's a fun one out of that deep Maryland receiving room. You know, I mentioned a couple running backs throughout this podcast. Let's throw some comps on them. So Devin Ashane, Texan. M, 5'9", 190-pound track speed. Reminds me a lot of LaMichael James. Coming out of Oregon, also electric speed. Second-round pick. I could see him going in that kind of similar ballpark on day two. It seems like... James went in the second round? Yes, he did, to the 49ers. Now, there's reasons why his NFL career went the way it did. We don't have to talk about that. I don't remember that. But Shane, I could see being a day two pick all day long for somebody that wants some juice into the offense. The other one, Blake Corum, 5'9", 205, 210, little short, little squatty, tough frame, but with some breakaway juice. Reminds me a lot of D'Angelo Williams coming out of Memphis, who was 5'9", 207. People forget how short he was, but he was so thick and he had kind of skinny legs, but he had a, you know, a big butt, big core, very good, uh, you know, abdomen strength as well to run between the tackles. He was a first round pick out of Memphis and had an excellent NFL career. I could see Blake Corum also being a first round caliber running back. Mm. May not be that name that's up there with the Bijan Robinsons and Jameer Gibbs right now. Don't sleep on Corum. I think the media and the kind of Twitterverse is a little bit behind based on the way the NFL views Blake Corum. So he's a high-level running back. You had a good D'Angelo Williams comp a couple – it was like within the last like two or three drafts, and I, I'm blanking on who it was, but it was. I remember thinking like, yeah, that's a really, really good He's comp. very, very unique because yeah. he was short – yet had good size, about yep. 210, being 5'9", and explosive. Yeah. I think he ran low 4.4s four as yep. well. It was a first-round pick, and you play 10-plus years, you're, you're laughing at that value. Yeah, no question. All right, let's get to our last category here, our mock draft roundup. Pick a mock draft, look around, who they have the Eagles selecting, who's going to the top five, top ten, uh, some other general themes. This week, we've got our first mock draft from the great Mike Renner over at Pro Football Focus. Uh, ben, I love a PFF mock. Obviously, when Mike does one, it's great, um, but just a general, a PFF mock in general is always good because uh, it's a little bit of a different spin. You start incorporating some of their grades. They're going to be a little bit different than consensus, uh, so it's always good to be able to see uh, what they're putting out. I heard so, Mike does his with an Ouija board the yeah, night before. I wouldn't yeah, rule that just out. Just lets the spirits kind of guide him, and you know, he just, just falls in line. Yeah, he just sees uh, which, ro- which one, uh, who's, who's got a rose at the, at the end of it, and we'll, we'll go with that guy. Uh, to me, looking at the top five, um, one big takeaway, and I'll let you see if uh, if you can come up with this one. Um, C.J. Stroud, number one overall to the Houston Texans. I know you're on board with that one. I, that was the one I thought of you as soon as I saw it. Number two, Seattle Seahawks taking Alabama pass rusher Will Anderson. So Geno Smith uh, might be safe there, uh, according to uh, Mike Renner with the way that he's playing. Number three, the New York Jets taking Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia. Chicago Bears at number four taking quarterback Bryce Young from Alabama, and then the Washington Commanders taking quarterback Will Levis from the University of Kentucky. So that is how the top five shakes out. I know he's got a quarterback, I believe, going number six overall too, Ben. So uh, a bunch of quarterbacks going off the board fast. And, you know, it goes back to what we've said uh, the last couple of weeks. Like, if if there are all these quarterbacks that are being viewed in this way that high in the draft, those guys are going one, two, three, or one, two, five, one, two, four, like – I can't imagine that it's going to be D-lineman, D-lineman, and then a bunch of quarterbacks. The, the value does not make sense to me in that. Well, that the standpoint. way you're looking at the NFL right now, there's some teams with proverbial franchise quarterbacks or at least the commitment to acquiring them with high capital in the draft that stink. 
Yeah, we already played one. So yeah. those teams are going to be picking in the top ten. <clears throat> they don't just hit reset on the quarterback. Yep. So there's some teams like right here. You're looking at the Jets taking Jalen Carter. They I passed. See, yeah. I see the Bears here at four going double dip on the Did quarterback. They're yep. already, you know, uh, you know, changing the the Justin Fields era there. But there's going to be teams like Seattle as well. Is it a little fool's gold right now that you're having some success with a veteran quarterback? Do you need to turn the page to the future? Is Will Anderson too good to pass up? There's a lot of interesting conversations there. And I think Will Anderson and Jalen Carter, they're such high-level prospects, such franchise-changing players. It's going to make teams that need quarterbacks even think twice about it. So I think it's going to be a fun top 10, fun top 5. It seems like we're figuring out these four are going to be in the top four. It's just a matter of who's picking where, and maybe somebody wants to trade up and get somebody. Yeah, that's the way it, it certainly seems uh, at this point in the process. Uh, let's get to the first Eagles pick here. It happens to be number twelve from the New Orleans Saints, uh, and they have the and Mike has the Eagles selecting pass rusher Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame. Ben, you hit on him at the on the very first part uh, of this segment. Here's the blurb from Mike. Foskey is a long, powerful pocket collapser who has steadily improved every year of his career at six foot five and 265 pounds. He has the goods to continue that in the NFL. His 16 pressures in four games are already halfway to his pressure total from a season ago. He can learn from and take over for Brandon Graham in time. So, uh, Ben, Two questions for you. Number one, uh, it's been a while since we've seen a mock draft with Foskey going to the Eagles, so just thoughts uh, there on that fit, just for people that have not heard that. And then uh, do you think Foskey is a top 15 pick at the end of the day, a top 12 pick in this mock draft? Yeah, I think he's going to be in the first-round conversation all day long. He is just such a well-rounded, well-built football player. He's not a finesse player at all. He's a guy that has exceptional athleticism, positional versatility at 6'5", nearly 270, wins with really good power, excellent hand usage. He's a guy I think can fit in a variety of different schemes and different fronts uh, and line up in different spots for you. You know, I think he'd be a great fit here. He'd be a great fit on a lot of teams. He just looks like a very well-rounded pro player. Just, I don't know if his testing is going to wow you once we get into that process. Really? I see. I think he's going to test pretty well, especially for 265. Yeah, I, I just think his body of work and his film is a much higher... Um, it's much more value, in my opinion, than I think he's going to run around. Or you know, when we, Once we get these guys in shorts and a t-shirt, right. I mean, the Montez sweats of the world. And yeah. the Trayvon Walkers and like you know, you know those types of players are the ones that kind of dominate that conversation. I just don't see him being this four-four freak show, jumping thirty-eight inches, mm. wowing us. Has to be a first-round pick. He's gonna be a nice player. I think some other guys might leapfrog him because of that. Do you feel like he's in a scheme like the one the Eagles employ, where uh, multiple all the different multiple fronts? What where is his versatility? Is it like a uh, edge rusher that can also stand up and drop or edge rusher that can also kick inside and offer you value there? Yeah, a little bit of both, actually. Yeah, that's you what know? And, intriguing, and before right? this year, he played all over the place in that front set. Yeah. He played some will back or played some outside back or he played some mugging over the B gap, some straight hand in the turf three tech alignment. So I wanted him to be more of a true edge rusher, which he has been this year. Um, I think he's a much better football player than like an Andre Carter mm. at an Army. Yeah. I think Andre Carter yeah. is going to be one of those off-season freak shows that we just like salivate over. But um, I love these conversations. Zach Harrison too. Yep. This is Zach Harrison's run four forward high school. I got news for you. He's been at Ohio State for five years. He didn't get weaker. <laughs> so this kid's just stronger and faster. He's going to blow us away, despite maybe not having great tape. 
So this isn't, I'm not trying to be disparaging anybody. I'm just trying to talk about the impending conversation that's coming down the road. No doubt. Uh, Well, here are the six guys that went right around uh, this area, just so you have an idea who are the prospects being talked about uh, in this range. Three that went right before Foskey. At number nine, the Lions taking Stanford quarterback Tanner McKee. We talked about him earlier with Nate. Uh, The the New England Patriots at number 10 taking Oregon corner Christian Gonzalez. And at 11, the New York Giants taking Georgia pass rusher Nolan Smith. The three picks right after the Eagles at 12. Houston Texans taking USC wide receiver Jordan Addison. The Arizona Cardinals at 14 taking uh, Bijan Robinson, the running back from Texas. And then at 15, the Jacksonville Jaguars taking Quentin Johnson, uh, the height-weight speed receiver from TCU. So Ben, uh, of those six players, which of those six do you feel like is least likely to happen and why? I just think Tanner McKee as the ninth overall player in the NFL draft is a little high Mm. uh, based on his body of work, his skill set, his traits, his projection. Really nice player. I think he's kind of middling right now in that day two group of quarterbacks with, you know, Sam Hartman and maybe Devin Leary or Slovis. And we'll see who can maybe uh, have a good finish to their season and maybe win somebody over in some of the all-star games and the senior bowls and things like that. But ninth overall, I think is a little bit high and Detroit, I would not put it past them to to double down on golf again. He is not the problem with that team. They are very competitive. They're well-built in the trenches. They have to stop some people on defense. And I think if they have the opportunity to go get a high level player on defense here, you got to do it. So uh, my fool's gold here, number nine, Tanner McKee quarterback. Uh, Brad Holmes, remember, a West Coast scout uh, with the Rams for a long, long time. So uh, has some inroads there, certainly, with that Stanford program. Um, for me, I think it was the the one that surprised me was the Nolan Smith to the Giants one at 11, just because they just took, obviously, they took Thibodeau in the top 10. And Ojalar, I mean, he had eight sacks as a rookie last year at Georgia. Now, I know he's been banged up uh, this year. Uh, I think they, they have pretty similar profiles in terms of, like, uh, strengths and weaknesses standpoint, Ojalari and Smith. But uh, that one would surprise me. And look, you're always looking to add rushers, uh, certainly in that offense or in that defense rather with Wink Martindale uh, they're always going to try and bring pressure so uh, I think that would kind of regulate Ojolari to more of a, a, a uh, uh, rotational role but um, that one would surprise I, me I don't know if Smith would make it past Detroit <clears throat> or New England right uh, I mean Detroit they, that would be ideal uh, to pair him with Hutchinson yeah uh, Charles Charles Harris obviously a nice veteran piece out there but can be upgraded yeah I mean they need upgrades a lot uh, all across the board on that defense um, all right next Eagles pick here comes at number 30 and that is, and that's, that's remember, uh, Dolphins don't have their own first round pick. So this would be uh, the, the losing Super Bowl pick at number 30 here from the Eagles. Cornerback Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State. Here's the blurb from Mike. He said, Darius Slay, who was on the books for $26 million in 2023, could very well be a cap casualty. Even if he's not, the Eagles are in a position to be forward thinking with their draft strategy. Porter has been lights out to start the year with only nine catches allowed on 22 targets for 89 yards, in addition to an FBS leading eight PBUs. So, uh, Ben, we haven't really talked about uh, the, the idea of a Joey Porter Jr. in this Eagles defensive scheme. Um, what do you think uh, in terms of like the fit with the with the system that's here in Philadelphia? I think it'd be exciting, and it's been a while since there's been a high level, you know player drafted in the defensive back room, uh, especially at corner. I feel like it's been kind of a veteran movement lately. We haven't got Slay. Obviously, Bradbury joined the Eagles this year. You know, Steven Nelson the previous year. It's tough business out there at corner, and I think Jonathan Gannon liked the veteran presence. And He's kind of similar to Bradbury. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Big, tall, physical, will beat you up on, you know, line of scrimmage. He's going to come up and tackle. He's not going to be a liability and run support or just being a well-rounded football player. Um, And I think it would just be an exciting proposition that 
having some youth in that room, some high-level talent, some high-level traits, obviously oozing length out there for the cornerback position at nearly 6'2", uh, and his arms just absolutely, you know, draping down to his knees. So I'm um, just trying to, as I'm rambling here, kind of go back and thinking who was the last corner we've taken in the first round that we were excited about to watch in camp. I mean, or- the la- no, the last first-round corner, I mean, it was it had to have been Lito. It had to have been Lito Shepard. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be the last first-round corner. So I was just thinking of, like, wow, we haven't had, like, a high-level – you know, young juice into that defensive background. That's what I was thinking about. Not necessarily his incorporation into the scheme there, but more of just saying, oh, I haven't been excited to see a high-level young corner have to go figure it out out there. Um, And I think early in the NFL season, uh, you know, I've been able to study a little bit of Sauce Gardner out there, and we all watched Patrick Sertan last year. We'd love to see that in Philadelphia, whether he plays right away or not, because those two corners out there this year, they're playing pretty good ball, Darius Slay and uh, James Bradbury. Lito Shepard, 2002, was the last uh, Eagles first-round pick at corner. Uh, at safety, you have to go back further. But you got to go back a lot further than that. Uh, safety, I mean, 1980, they took DB, Roynell Young. I'm not sure if he was listed at corner or safety by the time he made it into the league. So um, uh, Georgia, uh, Ben Smith in 1990, again, listed as DB. So I don't know if that's corner or safety. So, uh, But, yeah, Lito Shepard, the last, uh, last corner taken in the first round. Um, Joey Porter Jr. is a, a really good player. That would be, be a lot of fun. Uh, okay. The four players taken around this pick, three that went right before. Tampa taking Miami corner Tyreek Stevenson. I haven't really seen Stevenson in a lot of mock drafts. The top, one of the top seniors. I actually kind of like Stevenson, um, so I was excited to see him here in this mock draft. Uh, 28, Green Bay taking North Carolina wide receiver Josh Downs. And then at 29, the Kansas City Chiefs taking, bear with me here, Ben, Northwestern pass rusher, Adi Tamiwa, Adi Barre. The, 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 the spelling is very, very difficult. I had to look up the pronunciation numerous the times to make difficult. sure. The, the, the pronunciation uh, even more so, but I think I just nailed it. Adi Tamiwa, Adi Barre from Northwestern. So an, an interesting name there on the back end of round one. Only one player selected after the Eagles pick here, and obviously it was the Buffalo Bills uh, at 31 taking Texas nose tackle Keandre Coburn. So, Ben, uh, of these four picks... Which of, the, which of these do you think is most likely to happen, just purely from a scheme fit standpoint? Which one did you like most? I think Josh Downs going to Matt LaFleur and the Green Bay Packers like uh, would be a great addition to you know surround Rodgers with. I think they're looking to upgrade that gadgety hybrid slot role that Randall Cobb's been holding down the past two years. Amari Rodgers just hasn't been ready, hasn't been what they had expected. So I think adding a, you know, a youth movement and someone to just put the ball in their hands, and they love those end-arounds and jet sweeps and just pre-snap motion threats and then trying to get somebody down the field and be able to catch the inbreakers off RPOs. That's Josh Downs to a T here. So I think he'd be a great piece into that offense. Uh, for me, it was Stevenson to the Bucks, and I did, like think that's of the Bucks, Bucks think of the Bucks corners. Corner. No yeah. question, like you that's think Jamel of Jamel Dean, that's Carlton Davis all that's, day. That's the Sean Murphy bunting, like right. all big bodied, kind of like top heavy, long, uh, but can still like run and aren't like liabilities. Like that's a that's a Tampa corner all day long in that scheme. So uh, that one I saw and I was like, yeah, I could definitely definitely see that fit. So that that one uh, really hit it on the nose. Who was the me. one kid they took? Uh, Sean Murphy Bunting. Sean Murphy Another Bunting. One. Yep, yep. Exactly. These guys that just want to just beat your face in off the line of scrimmage and tackle you and beat you up at the top of stems and oh yeah, they'll cover you too. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. <laughs> uh, last question here: Which of the top twenty? So which pick basically in this mock draft? So I, I centered it out of the top twenty-five. 
Which one in the top 25 did Mike just nail here? You can definitely see it happening, and, and here's why. Give it to give me the, the who and the why. Well, I think this is a little bit of an echo of my sentiment from last week, but let's double down. That's sure. Paris Johnson going to the Raiders at 17. Yeah. I think this team needs offensive line help. I think Josh McDaniels knows it. I think Derek Carr knows it. I think Josh Jacobs knows it. Everyone's put on notice. I love that they got Dylan Parnum last year on day two. Colton Miller needs to play better. There might be three other guys to just completely replace. And like I had said last week, I don't care if Paris Johnson's playing left tackle, right tackle, guard spot, center, swing tackle. I'm going to play eight, eight offensive linemen. Get better players on this roster. Uh, obviously, they're turning things over. They're trying to hold the ship down for 2022. This team should be better. There's weapons all over this defense, all over the offense. Do not neglect the trenches. And I just think it's a team that's a little bit... The other philosophy from the Eagles, where the Eagles just so strong on the offensive line, so strong on the D line, so deep in both spots. Just not how the Raiders built their team and built their roster. So obviously a new regime coming in there. Josh McDaniels coming from New England with a lot of emphasis on O-line. Get Paris Johnson of the Raiders. Uh, for me, I would go 22 overall. The Cincinnati Bengals taking Notre Dame tight end Michael Mayer. And this is, I think, when you look at the, the whys behind this pick, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, typically a team that drafts for need, um, and Hayden Hurst is a free agent. Uh, they're missing C.J. Ozoma. I know you just you just did a Bengals game recently. Uh, you tell me it feels like they're missing that kind of presence at the point of attack uh, that they had in Ozoma from last year. Um, I don't know that Hayden Hurst necessarily provides that. I think Mayer can give you a little bit more juice there. Um, but that's not the reason you're, you're – taking Michael Mayer, you want to continue building around Joe Burrow. And I think that's going to be a priority for this team and will continue to be a priority for this team. And also, I think when you look at the Bengals, especially under the, the this latest regime, they have leaned into like the relationships they have on staff. You know, the, the uh, tight inroads at like Nebraska, where Zach Taylor came from, and they, they've taken a couple Nebraska guys. And it, it, you've seen that uh, as a resounding theme. All right, well, who's the, the, who's the connection there for Notre Dame? Well, Al Golden was their linebacker coach a year ago. He's now the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Al Golden knows a thing or two about tight ends. He went into the NFL as a tight end as well after playing at Penn State. So uh, to me, the, the Michael Mayer to Cincinnati, uh, that one I just saw it. I was like, yeah, I could definitely see that being the pick when we get to next day. not mistaken, Al Golden was with the Lions when they also took Eric Ebron in the first round. So I think they've, uh, you know, it's from a pedigree that's willing to pull the trigger on the tight yep. end in the first round, which some teams uh, have some philosophical uh, opinions on that. But Michael Mayer to Cincinnati. Somebody get those safeties to cheat inside a little bit. Somebody have make them honor inside so then we can hit Chase and Higgins on the outside. Those safeties just roll over the top of those receivers way too easily. Tyler Boyd can't do everything down the middle. So we got to get some Hayden Hurst in there. Let's get some Michael Mayer in 2023. And Cincinnati, is de- they have taken uh, – they took Gresham uh, in the first round. And mm-hmm. uh, Duke Tobin, who's the GM, he was there uh, when, when that happened. He was not in his current role. But uh, We talked you know, Gresham. We talked uh, Tyler Eifert. We, had, they we took Eifert, keep going. Yeah, out of Notre Dame. Uh, the history is there. Yeah, no question. So, uh, yeah, well, Ben, good stuff. Great stuff there from Mike Renner. Uh, make sure you go follow his work, obviously, over at PFF. So, uh, Ben, we'll be back uh, next week breaking down this weekend's action in college football. Now it's time to get to one of my favorite segments. It's time to welcome in Ross Tucker. Let's go to Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. 
All right, let's now transition to one of my favorite segments we do here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. That's Pick 6, where I welcome in my friend Ross Tucker. And Ross, you gained some ground on me this week, man. Uh, you had uh, three wins. None of them were the two-pointers. Uh, we both did pretty well in the pickums this week, but you beat me on the over-under. You beat me on the either-or. You beat me on the high-low. So uh, you had the uh, the over on Dennis Leary touchdowns against Clemson. You had It was one and a half. The, he hit two, one rushing one uh, towards the end there. A.T. Perry had a bunch of catches in that game. The win over Florida State, the Wake Forest wide receiver coming through for you. And then uh, you had five daddy sodas, which you uh, alerted me to this morning, that beat out the three Stanford touchdowns that you needed for the W. I had two Julius from Treehouse, and then I had three Lagunitas. I know exactly how many I had. <laughs> and if I, and if, if, I if they weren't all heavier IPAs, the number would have been a lot higher. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you knew right, I'm competing with Stanford here. So if I, if I can get into like three, three, four, five range, I should be safe. And uh, You know, like- I totally forgot about it. So <laughs> I'm nervous. I, 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 sh- I would have gone with a light beer and made sure I had seven or eight just to make sure. <laughs> Well, I mean, you also look. You predicted Air Force uh, being upset by Navy, and they just squeaked by, thirteen to ten, final score. Uh, so you very nearly, uh, really caught me uh, with this one. But right now, still have a nine point lead on you. We'll get into our pickums now. Again, these pickums, uh, they are two points in our scoring system. We're gonna go where College Game Day is going this week, man. Kansas TCU, Kansas home underdogs uh, with College Game Day coming to town. Yeah, man. Um, I, I got to go TCU. College Game Day, that's awesome. Kansas has so much momentum. They're playing well. Lance Leipold's done a terrific job. But did you see what TCU just did to Oklahoma? I did. Do you see how well their quarterback, Max Dugan's playing right now? I mean, I, I just think Kansas has to lose at some point. And I actually think all the distractions of game day and all that, I think it's going to be a little bit too much for them. Uh, I'm going to take TCU on the road to get this done. I just think they're the more talented, better team. Dude, I'm not betting against Jalen Daniels. I'm going to go with the Kansas Jayhawks here. Uh, pretend it's March Madness. I'm going to I'm going to push them forward. Five and zero, a start here for the Jayhawks. Uh, if they can come up with this win against TCU, I, I will ride the wave of College Game Day. Jalen Daniels, one of the more electric quarterbacks in college football so far. What he has done, obviously, like you said, Lance Leopold uh, kind of pulling the strings. They have just done an outstanding job, and I'll bet on them to keep it going here because you know they're going to be motivated uh, with TCU coming to town. Let's see if they can get another Big Twelve win. Uh, let's go to the next one. This is a really intriguing game, Ross. BYU, Notre Dame. Who do you like here? Straight pick them. Uh, two points uh, in the eight-hour tally. I'm going Notre Dame. A couple different reasons. You know, I think they are better up front on both sides of the ball than BYU is. Obviously, BYU's got a better quarterback, but I think Notre Dame's better up front, and they're coming off a bye, man. I mean, they've had two weeks to get ready for this game. Coming off a bye, better up front, games at home. Give me the Irish. Yeah, I thought about going BYU here. Uh, you know, they, they've had some nice wins this year, but uh, I think that Oregon game where I did pick them in this segment, uh, it kind of soured me a little bit. I, I'm going to go with the Irish here. Uh, I will side with you uh, and take Notre Dame. Let's go down with our over-under. I had some fun with this one. Over-under, the week, this number this week, 550, and that is total offensive yards by the Tennessee Volunteers offense taking on LSU this Saturday, one of the prime matchups in the SEC. Yeah, I'm going under. You know, LSU's defense is good. Yeah. I mean, they might have the best defense in the SEC. They're certainly up there. They're one of the best defenses in the SEC. I know Tennessee offense, Hendon Hooker, the receivers, I know they've been awesome. 550 is a big number, especially since LSU is going to try to run the ball on offense, keep the clock moving. 
play good D. I'm going under. So I'm going over here. You know, the average has been 560 for them so far this season. They're coming off the bye. I get it with LSU's defense, and they're going to try and slow the game down and uh, you know play the game at their pace. But uh, I think when you look at Hendon Hooker, the way that they're humming, I think they'll be healthier on offense going into this matchup. Uh, so I will take the over here on Tennessee's offense. Total yardage, uh, 550 going into this game against LSU. Let's go to the next one here. Either or, big matchup out west in the Pac-12. Two ranked teams. You've got Utah and UCLA. Two uh, upperclassmen quarterbacks here in UCLA's Dorian Thompson-Robinson and Utah's Cameron Rising. Both guys have been very productive this year, Ross. Both guys having really strong seasons. It was Rising who was first-team All-Pac-12 a year ago. Who do you think has more passing touchdowns in this game? Yeah, I'm going to go Rising. Um, I'm going to go Rising because I think Utah is a little bit better than UCLA. Plus, I think uh, DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, a little more likely to run yep. in some of those situations. That one touchdown run he had the other night was sweet against UW with the hesitation. So I'll go uh, I'll go with Cameron Rising in this one. It's close, but I'll go with Rising. Very close. I think it does come down to who you think is going to kind of win this game. I do think Utah wins. I feel like UCLA probably throwing a little bit more to get back and control this game. Rising has been kind of the powerhouse of that offense, not necessarily the run game. But I think when you look at DTR, I think this is a team that's going to be playing from behind in this one. I will bet on him to have more touchdown passes in this game. Let's go to one I had fun with as well. Which number is higher? Looking at the Big Ten, Illinois Against Iowa, and Ross, this Iowa offense has just been a, a slog fest so far this season. So, total points by Iowa against this Illinois defense. What's Is that number going to be higher? Or total tackles from the Iowa senior linebacker, Jack Campbell, in this game? Yeah, I mean, I got to go points. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, look, they might only score 10 or 7, and Jack Campbell might have double-digit tackles. But I got to go points on this. Um, Iowa's offense is a brutal watch, except for when I had Rutgers against them, and somehow they scored 27 points in that one. <laughs> Unbelievable. I'll take the Iowa points. I just like can't bring myself to be rooting for this Iowa team to score points. I, I think I have to go Campbell. I I'm going to say that. Uh, and also, you look at this Illinois defense. They're they're playing pretty good ball so far. They they've held opponents to under 20 points in all but one game this year. Uh, so I do think this is going to be in, in the teens, if not single digits. We'll see if uh, if Campbell uh, against this running offense with Brett Bielema can rack up some stats here in this one. I will take Jack Campbell tackles uh, going up against the Illini. Let's now go to our upset special, Ross. Uh, one big upset to win this week. This is obviously where we make the, make up the most ground. This is an eight pointer if you can nail it. Yeah, I I didn't love a lot of them this, is a this tough one. week. Yes, uh, looking at it, um, I'm gonna end up going with Washington State over USC, nice. which that's that's a tall task. But Washington State's pretty good. They won on the road at Wisconsin. I like their quarterback Cam Ward, and it just feels like USC. Maybe things are different with Lincoln Riley, but it feels like USC always loses, you know, one game that they shouldn't middle of the year to like an Oregon State or a Washington State. And so I'm going to pick this Washington State beating the Trojans. Love it. Well, dude, one thing that we have seen so far has been a theme in the uh, 2022 college football season. The Sun Belt has been a wild ride. Uh, I like Arkansas State over JMU here. Uh, give me uh, give me the the, uh, the Red Wolves uh, for ASU upsetting J James Madison. Uh, I like that one here this week. I, I will go with the Red Wolves. Uh, Ross, we'll see uh, if I can extend this lead. Uh, you chipped away at me uh, a week ago. We'll see how it goes here in week six in college football. How about the fact that it is a... 
upset, major upset, if JMU in their first year in FBS loses to another FBS team. That says a lot about FCS football and what JMU have been able to get done. I mean, they, they have built a powerhouse. No no question when you look at them and, and North Dakota State, what they have built over the last few years. Uh, JMU earned the right to come up to the FBS, and uh, now they're they're making noise uh, at this level. So uh, obviously kudos to them and what they've done so far in their maiden voyage uh, at the FBS level. Well, Ross, uh, thanks so much, man, once again for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. We will talk to you next week. Sounds great, man. All right, so great stuff this week from Ross Tucker, Ben Fennell, and, of course, Nate Tice joining us for Mr. Relevant. Make sure you tune in early next week. Myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, we are back breaking down the week that was in college football. We've got another great guest, Emery Hunt, joining us to go under the hood, talking the running back position, a place, a position that he played at the college level. So excited to catch up with Emery next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.